Happy Thursday, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Rocketeer Minute, where each and every day, Monday through Friday, we go over one minute of the greatest adventure movie Walt Disney's ever made, the 1991 Joe Johnston-directed feature, The Rocketeer. I'm one of your hosts, Jim O'Kane of TVDads.com. And I'm Hal Bryan, an airplane nerd from the Experimental Aircraft Association here in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. So, Jim, we're diving headfirst into minute 79. I, I, I can't believe it. What happened to minute 10? <laughs> <laughs> it just keeps going and going. And, well, the, it, the action is picking up, even though it's kind of a slow one. And we've just had, uh, you know, it was only a couple of minutes ago or maybe last week that uh, Jenny woke up from her sound winter sleep. <laughs> right. Uh, but now she's, uh, she's wandering around uh, moving her eyeballs left and right through the first yes. couple of seconds of this thing. And, uh, and you've got that... Uh, you know, another hint of uh, of the main theme, James Horner there, just that little French horn giving us the intro, but then sort of falling away a little bit discordant. So it's, it's telling us, you know, we're looking, but there's no triumph quite yet. Something's up, yeah. Yeah, and it, and, up. and also that in, inimitable, well, I guess it could be imitated, but not correctly, right. uh, that the triplets, the little da-da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. Uh, it's always pondery. Jenny's discovered the, the secret room, which is yes. one of my favorite tropes of all, <laughs> of all movies. I mean, it's been... Oh, same here. It's still high on my bucket list of things. I've got to have a secret room. Yeah, I and, just... Uh, I, th- I think we'll talk more about that with Billy... Uh, Oh, wait, can I say that Billy's going to be yeah, on I, again soon? I, I think, Probably I think tomorrow. people can check in and, and find yeah. out if he's going to be here tomorrow. But I have a feel, pretty good feeling about that. But yeah. I just, I, I've loved it ever since, you know, <laughs> even this thing, when I see this, though, I always think of uh, young Frankenstein first. With, put, put the candle back. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no, no candle here, but it's, uh, it's just such a great trope. And, and right. I know uh, if you've ever read uh, Devil in the White City, it has some sinister oh, yes. sides to it. Uh, but that, you know, the idea of a secret room and other things going on in other rooms. Uh, and speaking of which, we're going to be meeting up in uh, the, the home of the former White City, uh, Chicago. Yeah, that's right. We're, yeah, We're meeting if, up there in uh, just a couple of weeks. If folks have weeks. not uh, looked into it, uh, go, to, go to the main site here, at, uh, and assuming this is the first go around. <laughs> You're not listening to this years yes. from now, but uh, yes. for 2017, uh, August 25th, or 26th, uh, Saturday the 26th, we are going to be meeting in Chicago for a Movies by Minute uh, podcast convention, uh, and everyone's invited. Uh, check out our website to uh, to get a link to the uh, uh, Movies by Minute Chicago, uh, or you can go uh, directly to the moviesbyminutes.com site. Go to moviesminutes. I'm sorry, moviesbyminutes.com slash Chicago, and uh, you can pick up tickets there. It's really inexpensive if you're in the Chicago area. It's worth worth a trip. We're, we're expecting, a, I think, millions of people are probably going to show. Well, we'll I think see. that's uh, conservatively. Yeah, at so, least. It, and uh, and um, no airplanes to park. So, you know, there are no airplanes to park. And also, uh, as far as we know, uh, no uh, sort of a late 19th century serial killers. Yeah, well, you know, keep your fingers so, crossed, but keep yeah. your eyes open. Lock your car. This is kind of small as secret passages go. I, I know there's a there's a great, uh, probably one of the more famous ones in real life that's still standing that hasn't been taken down by the local authorities is the, of course, the Winchester Mystery House out in California in, in uh, San Jose. Um, uh, the daughter of William uh, Winchester, the fellow who, you know, the Winchester rifle and all that. 
uh, had a lot of money, and uh, she had just some, some wild ideas about uh, that she had, she couldn't stop building. Uh, she needed room for her ghosts, so uh, she kept building this uh, this house with all kinds of rooms to nowhere, stairways to nowhere, uh, extra uh, extra odd doors and windows that were shaped like spider webs. So uh, it's a, a creepy place, but uh, it turned into a fun uh, visitor's uh, d- uh, destination. So if you're ever in uh, San Jose, I can recommend it. And uh, the uh, MythBusters did an episode there, if I remember right. If oh, I really? The I, right place, yeah. It's a it's a great piece of California history. It's only right up the coast from uh, from where Jenny, where Jenny is trapped in this other room. Uh, but of course, she she's already Jenny's already knows the score on this little mystery that she knows that you have to pull on something or twist on something, and apparently you have to pull on a book. So she's going through the entire shelf. We get an interesting view there of of Neville's uh, collection, his his particular library, and just some unusual books that he's chosen to have and, and rather apt for this uh for this movie and perfectly apt and you know jim we were both looking closely when and there's that right about to second 17 you see you can you can read the titles or most of the titles of four books and we were looking closely at that first one on the left i didn't get very far with it but uh, but you i believe had a breakthrough yeah my my high school french finally paid off after all these years and uh, syllabus of remedies for stupefaction in other words uh how to how to wake people up from <laughs> how to wake people up from anesthesia so i'm assuming it just says get brandy and uh <laughs> exactly and then you could uh and smelling salts i guess your your french you know certainly better than mine but uh i, I could almost read it as uh you know as a, a remedy being almost a way to cause it and it, that's true. In addition yeah. to as a way to uh, as how to affect sort of it, maybe, it. Yeah. yeah, how to how to affect it. So yeah. so maybe that book is just hollowed out, and that's where he keeps his little chloroform bottles when they're not uh, <laughs> not in his purple suit jacket for the next go around. It's like you know, okay, yeah, exactly. chloroform, and uh, and then uh, next to it is uh, of course a uh, book. Where are we going? By a uh, rather famous name in World War One and World War Two history is David Lloyd George. Yeah, an interesting guy, prime minister of some note for uh, what was it about? Uh, six years, just 1916 to 1922, very much uh, an appeaser of uh, of Germany. He had said, I'm just pulling up my notes here, there were a couple of quotes that he had. So George uh, was uh, just a, a big fan of, of post-World War I Germany. He, uh, he called Hitler the man who won the war. He referred to him as the greatest living German. He went to Germany in 36 uh, to meet with Hitler Looked at all their public works programs. Was all impressed with this. I mean, he wrote an article uh, in uh, in the UK for the Daily Express saying uh, about Hitler: "The Germans have definitely made up their minds never to quarrel with us again." And then, uh, if as if that wasn't enough, as it wasn't sort of over the top, he was he referred, giving stock tips too. <laughs> I think so. Yes, he, uh, he referred to Hitler uh, later as the George Washington of Germany. Wow. So. Uh, Ambrose Bierce uh, talked about the definition of the word positive, and that's mistaken at the top of one's voice. And he really was yes. very positive about things. <laughs> he really, really was. And it's interesting because he, uh, he eventually fell away. From, of course, Neville Chamberlain was is the famous British appeaser, and uh, Lloyd George liked that policy at least early on. But he kind of fell away from it because he didn't like Lloyd or didn't like uh, Chamberlain himself. And he did end up helping pave the way for uh, Churchill to come in and take over, certainly in that heyday in the the mid-30s. And to be fair, Hitler had a lot of people, obviously a lot of people fooled. But another nice little touch here that uh, that Neville Sinclair, the uh, mysterious, uh, mysterious connected, maybe he's a closet Nazi. 
Yeah. yeah as a just, book by this particular PM. Yeah, and like like you said, it wasn't at an entirely unpopular opinion at the time. I mean, we have a we have twenty twenty hindsight and how things were viewed back then, but there were people as varied as uh, Joe Kennedy, father of all the you know the, the, of future presidents and senators oh, sure. and things like that. He was very much uh, on Hitler's side and was talking about he really managed to uh, he, he sent back messages saying he's really gotten uh, you know, industry in hand over there and he's you know setting them back on their feet and it, you know just all this stuff that you look later on as complete nonsense and a terrible misread of history. Obviously, Neville Sinclair is, you know, is is another uh, Brit who fell into that, or if he is British, or we don't know if the thing about it is, is that we don't know who Neville Sinclair is. If he's right. really, I mean, a, as we find out later on, he goes into a, a, a staged German accent uh, for, you know, he's turning all of his ths into z's and stuff like that. I don't know if that means that he's play acting being German. Is he a is he a Germanophile, or is he actually a German who, who's uh, pretending to be British? Right, we really don't know. I always read that as uh, uh, suddenly he's speaking English without the fake, quote-unquote, fake British accent, and he's just lapsing into his German accent. But that seems that seems sort of strange, because normally, you know when we, we learn to speak another language, it's not a small challenge to speak a, a second language in different accents. And yeah. if, you're, if you're trying to speak English, you would just tend to speak it the best way you could, not relax and, I don't know, and let your, your original accent show through. But Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I know what little German I know. I've been told by Germans that I sound like I'm Bavarian. And, uh, that's, and that's, that's funny, too, because my first trip to, uh, to Munich, to München in Bavaria, I was told that I had slightly, uh, they were trying to be polite, but I had sort of slightly trashy slang from, uh, from the former East Germany, because I'd spent a lot of time in, in Leipzig going to this uh, giant video games conference over there and uh so so well okay well after a day in bavaria i shall speak like a bavarian and pick up pick up whatever slang and things that i can but i certainly never got to a point where i could sit there in my head and say okay i'm going to speak now but i want to you know talk like a bavarian versus uh, uh someone uh von die ost i just said i just had friends from oh, i didn't realize were from from bavaria who taught me different phrases it's, you know it's funny how you, you you before you learn a language you always learn phrases to say sure. that are just in there and i have a, a couple that i will not say on this show because we have <laughs> it's a family, <laughs> family show, show. But they do come across you know you can uh, drop drop them at the drop them at all it, it, i know how to start fights in bars all over germany <laughs> that's, good. that's a good skill to have do you know how to finish those fights jim oh uh, just it's run a, right just run yes <laughs> still. speaking of uh, people who pretend to be other people the, the book that that Jenny is pulling on the conquest of Casanova. He, yeah, of course, Ca- Casanova is, is known to uh, typically he's kind of a, uh, a synonym nowadays for words for a, a womanizer, someone who is, uh, you know, the conquest of Casanova mostly being women. Chicomo Casanova was a spy. He was a fighter. Uh, most of the time, though, he was a faker. He he was renowned for pretending to be other people, be, pretending to be other. He, he was... Uh, he was from Venice. He pretended to be French. He pretended to be German. He pretended to be uh, what would later be ch- uh, Czech. He was he was just a renowned other, an assumer of other people's identities. So there, he was sort of the uh, the catch me or excuse me the Frank Abagnale of catch yeah, me if you exa- can fame. He was exactly Frank you know, Abagnale he, of his day. 
he could put on, and he did, he put on different uh, military uniforms and pretended to be, you know, an officer. <laughs> and when he got tired of being an officer, he just kind of dropped it and, and skedaddled out of there. He was a very fond, another thing that he was famous for, you know, the, the womanizing, most of his women were much younger women. I mean, like, you know, what we would think of as high school age women or below. It's just kind of a, he really had a thing about young teenage girls. You know, all of this is fitting over the, uh, it, Casanova is a great pencil sketch of Neville Sinclair. And, Absolutely. Uh, he was a gambler, but the, <laughs> the, thing about, the thing about being a gambler is you're supposed to win. And he was a horrible, he was a horrible loser uh, when he gambled. The way I usually know Casanova was that he was, he was very fond of playing Pharaoh, which is, to me, it's a, it's a game I always, you know, I, I read when I was younger, I read a lot of Louis L'Amour and those, you know, a lot of Western novels. And they were anytime you went into a saloon, people were playing Pharaoh. And I've I've never I've never actually seen a live game of Pharaoh play. They don't really they don't really do that that much nowadays because it, it the odds aren't good for the house. It, it's a it's kind of a complicated game that's kind of a mix between uh, blackjack, bingo, and a board game. It's the only way to describe it. There's <laughs> Uh, I, I don't have time to explain all the, the ins and outs of Pharaoh, but I've always been fascinated by it. The odds are very flexible. They they seem to go back and forth between people playing it. The the house doesn't really have much of an advantage. You know, it's it's an interesting game. I just I've always wanted to put on a ten gallon hat and go someplace while a while a tinny upright piano plays in the background and you're sitting there dealing Pharaoh. You might have better luck trying Fizzbin, but yeah, uh, you yeah, would never know. Who knows? Not on Tuesdays, though. So, uh, but <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that. That's my that's my relationship with Casanova. In uh, I, I would read about him and, and his relationship to gambling and Pharaoh and a whole whole bunch of games that no longer exist because it's just there's easier ways for casinos to make money. You know, one of the things I thought was uh, this Casanova has, I mean, a Casanova character is is already, as you said, it's a synonym. It's a it's something that's in our lexicon. But things I thought was uh, interesting was him going on uh, what was known as the Grand Tour, which was uh, sort of an understood custom for members of the nobility and the aristocracy, the 1600s through the sort of the mid-1800s before train transport became a real uh, reality rail transport, but you would have uh, you would have somebody, a young young person from a wealthy family coming of age, turning you know, twenty one or whatever they decided at the time, and they would usually have a, a chaperone, and then they would go and travel through France and Italy and you know all around sort of Western Europe for months or even years. It's it was the equivalent uh, then of, of sort of backpacking through Europe, except doing it with unlimited funds. Yeah, and you know we sort and of associate. There were a surprising number of people back then that could do that. It's just kind of yeah. A- it's it's amazing how this was a regular thing for a couple of hundred years, and they'd go search of art and culture, and they'd have paintings done. They'd learn to speak their language, or you know, work on different languages, all sorts of things like this, and just immerse themselves in uh, in the world of the Renaissance. It's an amazing concept to think back on. The sort of thing you look at and say, well, well, goodness, if I had unlimited funds <laughs> yes. and, and yeah. lots of time off, it would be an interesting trip to make. But, it makes you wonder what Neville Skippier was like. <laughs> yes, exactly. And the uh, the last book on that that we see in the close up is uh, illustrations for the theater. So I guess he knows about theatricalities, and it really the this his whole mansion seems to be set up for theatrics. Yeah, it really does. Uh, one of the things that I was thinking about from yesterday's uh, minute when we were talking about the loggia and looking down on the floor below, and I, I think I, I touched on this 
many, many minutes ago was about William Gillette. William Gillette was a famous actor from the 1890s into the 1930s. Uh, he was, when we think of the character Sherlock Holmes, we think of a guy with a pipe and a and a deerstalker hat and quick watts in the needle, all that jazz. That is not the Sherlock Holmes that Arthur Conan Doyle came up with. That is the Sherlock Holmes that uh, William Gillette came up with on stage when he played uh, Sherlock Holmes on stage. And our, our modern view of Sherlock Holmes was from William Gillette's mind. And William Gillette was an extremely theatrical. He would be like if if Neville decided not to becoming a Nazi spy, he'd probably be a very theatrical vein and preening uh, actor who you know has good chops but William Gillette one of the things is it, his home is on the Connecticut River it's still here it's a it's a castle that he built very oddball kind of castle similar to what what Neville has but it was made out of uh, field stones and stuff and he, the way he had designed his entire great room in his house he had a living room it's very similar to where uh, where Lothar was chewing on chicken um, but what <laughs> What happened was his dressing room, his bedroom and dressing room, had a series of large uh, uh, floor-length mirrors. And William Gillette had installed microphones in his great room. He could listen in from his bedroom, and he would have his uh, servants let in his guests. He invited people such as Helen Hayes, uh, some remaining members of the Booth family when they were still around in the 18, you know, like Edwin Booth's children and things like that. Really? Just everybody that has a... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the um, he had uh, you know people like Laurel and Hardy came to, to him uh, Gloria Swanson he was friends with all these people at the turn of the century Mary Pickford uh, the Fairbanks would come to his house on the on the Connecticut River and he would always arrive fashionably late even though he lived upstairs and what he would do is he would listen in on the microphones and hear what conversations were going on about him wow he would watch from uh, the way that the mirrors were set up it was kind of a it's kind of like a, a Newtonian uh, telescope. He would look through <laughs> a series of mirrors and be able to see who was standing where and how to make his dramatic entrance for, uh, you know, for these people that who were talking about him. He was hoping, you know, he's kind of an Oscar Wilde character. He just wanted to hear a lot of people talking about him uh, because the worst thing was worse, worse than being talked about was not being talked about. So he would figure <laughs> out when the appropriate moment was to make his grand entrance. And he'd, you know, show up at the top of the series and voila, here I am. William Gillette uh, had died around 1936 or 7, I think. So a couple of years earlier, I can't imagine um, Neville Sinclair not being invited to uh, Mr. Gillette's home to uh, to participate in this little court that he held. <laughs> that was just a sideline I was thinking about from yesterday, but uh, it, it, it involves the vanities of... Uh, you know, a Casanova type like like Neville. Well, you can, yeah, you can certainly see that uh, see that applying. And it, it's interesting because if not a particular aficionado, although I love the love the books and many of the interpretations, but if you'd asked me about Holmes, of course, I would have started with Basil Rathbone. Uh, so I didn't realize that sort of Gillette would have been there as the on stage, really creating that image. But uh, certainly, you know, when you go back and read Conan Doyle's books, you don't picture that deerstalker cap and the pipe unless you sort of really transpose it in there. You 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 picture somebody who's really you know, really rather different sort of edgy and, uh, and of course, using a bit of cocaine to help him solve the yeah. latest mystery and all sorts of weirdness. I noticed as the, that massive door opens up, there is a painting on the wall that we don't, we don't get quite a glimpse of, but it's really horrifying. It's like kind of a, a caricature and the fellow has, uh, like he has cracks running up through his face. Oh, it's yeah. almost like broken glass and, uh, it's a rather horrific, uh, image on the wall and uh, I, I was trying I don't think it's a caricature of Neville Sinclair I think no. it's just a random I see a big high forehead <clears throat> you could almost convince me that it was uh I don't think there's a mustache 
Yeah, there might be. You could almost convince me it was like sort of a grotesque caricature of, of Shakespeare for some reason comes to mind. I was going with a Lon Chaney. Maybe uh, oh, it was like a Phantom too. of the yeah. Opera look, but it just was very, it's, it's very disturbing. You only see it for a moment and just enough to get you on edge seeing it. We watched Jenny come in from, uh, you know, from the normal lighting to the you know, unearthly green lighting that's right. coming from a little uh, side, uh, side wind, uh, doorway there, or the side, uh, the bench where uh, we're going to see a bit of electrical equipment. Uh, also that rather large map of uh, Los Angeles Angeles County, which looks like it goes from I know, almost the Bakersfield, it looks like, and it's a, a bunch of lines drawn on it, which I'm assuming maybe right. maybe the path of the Luxembourg, maybe uh, fault lines, maybe uh, and some uh, some pins stuck in at a few different places. Uh, it could be tracking where uh, the last locations of the Rocketeer were. You because know, one of the crossover points looks like the Baldwin Hills there. Oh, that very well could be. Yeah, so be some Rocketeer sightings. So, you know, something I wonder about for no reason whatsoever is you've got the, the day calendar on the wall there. I cannot picture Neville Sinclair, like, getting up in the morning and then going into the secret room and then, you know, sort of whistling as he gets down to his, his spy duties and then tearing off a page. For some reason, that seems so beneath him, yet would he have any staff or anybody else who would be allowed back here? Does he? Because presumably, he doesn't live in this, this estate entirely alone. He would have a cook and... And yeah, well, and, and things, I, I don't think anybody knows about that. Maybe Lothar knows about the book, but I, yeah. I could see, I could see the date being very important to him, as we had talked about previously. That there was an Enigma machine somewhere right. involved in this, and the Enigma yeah. can have a day like there, there's oh, an initial sure. code setting. So yeah. having the correct date might be an important thing in setting the Enigma. Yeah, uh, that's to the very right true. moment. And of course, we see Jenny look down, and she finds a. She finds a big a big drawing, a set of drawings. PV's copy printed earlier that day, as we see. The, yes. he, he writes down at the bottom there. Uh, and we, we've never come up with a P, what, who the A is. And I yeah. think if, you know, when Danny comes back, we really need to ask him. <laughs> it was A for Abner. was A right. for, uh, I, I'm assuming it's Abner, but it could be anything. Aaron. Yeah. Um, yeah, Abner, Abner Peabody. And every time I hear Abner, Abner. I just think of the neighbors on Bewitch. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Abner! <laughs> well, I would think, like, if if you want the Indiana Jones connection, Abner Ravenswood. Oh, the, yeah. The, uh, yeah, Abner, <laughs> uh, which is also on the Warner lot where some of this was filmed. Maybe the A is for uh, Alan Arkin. Yeah, could be. <laughs> Alan, Alan Peabody, yeah. yeah. I really would like to take – there's some beautiful thank, – thank goodness for Blu-ray. There's so much written on that on that particular drawing that I would like to go through every last little bit of all the parts right. lists and things. And I, I'm curious if any of our collectors out there have this particular drawing. Someone we'll must, to, or, yeah. I, or hey, assuming it survived, but well, you would sure hope that it would. I would, yeah, I would think so. And there's probably many copies of. I have a feeling this might be like a, a Xerox of whatever it was, and maybe you know Joe Johnson. If I if I were Joe, I would have kept this and had it framed. It just, yeah, it really just has the whole feel of the Rocketeer right there. And I would assume that the schematic is done by uh, by Dave Stevens. It's just gorgeous. Well, I, I just... You would sure think so. And this is notes around it, you know, ignite, uh, fuel pressure. There's, uh, what is that, fuel? Oh, fuel equalize, equalizer pump. Yeah. And there's something about, uh, about bleed and a mechanical drive. And you see this offset. Uh, offset cam arrangement that would be yeah, it turning has, it has a turbine. Like, it has like a, a turbine fan that there's like a gas generator. It's very, it, it is actually drawn a lot like a liquid, a liquid rocket. There's a, uh, the separate, although on the, on the, the, the cam wouldn't have been driven mechanically, which it looks like it's, it's mechanical. Uh, typically in a liquid fueled rocket engine, the pump is also another rocket. 
and uh, it, you know, and similar to a, a jet turbine, that the 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 pump itself is power is another motor within itself that is powering the uh, the feeding of the fuel. And uh, unfortunately, no oxidizer listed here. I don't. I don't see how the. I mean, one of, one of the ways you increase thrust is to add oxygen, and there there doesn't seem to be an uh, an oxidizer built into this uh, device. That that's what the uh, the rocket science part of me gets a little bit annoyed. About <laughs> it's like the way the way you increase you you either have fuel that is the most energetic fuel you can imagine, or you have an oxidizer, and there there just doesn't seem to be an oxidizer listed on this uh, on this screen. There seems to be just random pumps moving things in and out ah but it's it's still it's a beautiful thing yeah it's just gorgeous and then of course uh jenny's powers up the the radio which would be sort of no mean feat given the complexity of the thing and and starts to talk and i we don't uh, we don't at this minute cuts off before we know who might be listening yeah i i was wondering if this is an actual radio or if this is just a clever prop that someone's managed to you know screw into the sides of a uh, what looks like a masonite the backside of a masonite uh, board, um, but it, it could just as easily be a uh, an actual radio. There's an S on it, which could be a clue as to what the. Uh... See, and I was I was trying to recall again. My German is is uh, is so rusty, but uh, is there's an S and an F. Or an F, F or an oh, E, maybe an E, e. and like uh, emission and something else. Yeah, I was thinking like like one side is sort of transmit, one side is receive. Yeah, because um, they're pl- similar similar dial arrangement. Um, yeah. Although you've got an antenna adjustment on that on the S section of it. Yeah, I know Alpha and oh. Zoo would be in and out. But that's yeah. <laughs> that's been all. yeah, I would think that one's an emitter and one is a receiver, but yeah. I don't know what the German word for receiver is. I'm sure I'm sure one of our many fans will write in and tell us. I do appreciate appreciate the uh, whoever put this together was a good electrician because the uh, screw shapes are pointing in the same direction it's uh, <laughs> one of the things uh, my my dad did a bit of electrical work and was always annoyed at when people would put in the, the light switches the wrong one of the, you know it's a simple it, does, it has nothing to do with the functionality of a, of a light switch but generally you line up the screws so that it's just aesthetically nice from the outside and right. this this looks uh, it's like somebody did that for aesthetics. A beautiful, beautiful piece of machinery that you just like to have around. Exactly. Whether or not you're a secret Nazi. Yeah, who, yeah. But I, I, who are I we wish to they, judge? I wish they sold desktop computers with cases like that. You could just, no, absolutely just have a random needle zipping up and down, and something somebody somebody mumbling to you in German with a lot of static. I would I could live with that. <laughs> um, but uh, Jenny, yeah, Jenny's getting ready to make her big make her big broadcast to who knows who. Um, I don't know why she wasn't looking for a phone. That would seem to make more sense. Who am I, who am I to judge a, a woman that managed to figure out how to get into a secret room? I don't think I'd get as far as Jenny does. She's, exactly. She what, really what has her. It? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> All right. You'd find me in the sitting on some overstuffed couch just reading some of the books. I'd get that distracted. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd probably be downstairs going, is there any more chicken? Um, yeah. <laughs> I think this is about all we can talk about in this in this thing. I'm just, I think we've I, milked this one dry, Jim. I am, yeah, I am. I am impressed of how many how many things were going on in this particular minute. But we'll probably be able to talk with somebody tomorrow who knows a little bit more about what was going on at the at this movie tomorrow. So let's let's hold off until then. I think we've we've had a good solid minute of lots of information that people can digest. Not a, not a bad minute at all. So anyway, well let's uh, let's pick this up tomorrow for people who like to join us on our conversation already and say you know please it's been thirty minutes. Uh, write write to us uh, on on all of our different different social media. We're available of course, as always, on Twitter, Rocketeer Minute, on Facebook, facebook.com slash Rocketeer Minute. Find us at the big site, rocketeerminute.com. 
catch up on all the previous episodes. Uh, subscribe to us regularly on iTunes, Google Play. Uh, go to either of those two uh, marvelous little sites and uh, type in Rocket Chair Minute and press subscribe when you see us. Hot and fresh every morning, Monday through Friday, you'll get a new episode. Well, as long as we're still making episodes. We're only on Minute 79, so we've got plenty more to go. Uh, but join us here tomorrow when uh, I think we'll have somebody on from the movie who knows more about this way more than we do. So we'll see you here tomorrow on the Rocketeer Minute. So until next time, over and out. <laughs>